0: I took a pay cut, I joined a smaller company where I literally had no concept of like, is this a great move or isn't it? But everything in my heart told me, like do this, take this shot. And yeah, like I didn't do it knowing or thinking I would become the president one day. Uh, I did it thinking I was gonna give this a shot, I was gonna give it my all.
1: It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. After some time away, we are back, and I'm excited to introduce you to Matthew Logue. Matt is the co-founder of The Greater a marketing strategy consultancy that believes in impact and giving back. And to quote something on your LinkedIn, Matt, you said, I'd rather figure out my route by walking down the path. He is a graduate of the Ivy Business School at Western University. He was named in 2016 as a five to watch by Canada Sports Business Awards. Uh, You rose to the position of COO and president with MKTG Canada. Which was formerly S and Sponsorship Group, and you volunteer with great organizations like the Five One Nine here in Toronto, Sponsorship Marketing Council of Canada, and you know everyone I know who's worked with you, Matt, always has great things to say. So really interested in your story, and and welcome, and thanks for uh, thanks for being generous with your time.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks uh, thanks for having me, Jordan. Uh, you're doing a great thing here with your podcast. Lots of great episodes in the past, and hopefully this one can live up to those.
1: No, that's, that's great. And yeah, I've had some people from the, the sponsorship space on, and I know, you know, you know, a, a fair amount of them that I would have had, but I guess, Matt, if we look back, how would you describe yourself in, in your days at Western at Ivy business school? Did you have any idea at that point, what type of career and, and path you might want to pursue?
0: no no idea in in all in all honesty um always knew that business was a broad bucket that i thought i would want to play in and you know i applied to ivy out of high school and was fortunate to be pre-accepted um to the program because it i i can't say for certain how it runs today but at least at that time it was only your third and fourth year uh, so you got to do kind of whatever you wanted in your first two years, and then you would settle down and in, into business as your track to, to complete your degree. And uh, I always knew I wanted to do something in the business space, but really could never predict that I would, I would end up doing the kinds of things I've, I've gotten to do in my career.
1: And I guess if you look back, you know, people that I know who went to Ivy, they're kind of focused on maybe I'm going to go into investment banking or consulting or become an accountant. And you look at the career path you've taken, pretty unique and special.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, the, you know, Ivy, I think is more commonly a place that's going to breed consultants or iBankers. Uh, I knew pretty quickly that I probably wasn't uh, a typical Ivy student. I got weirdly uh, voted the the guy who's most likely to cheer for his competitor by my class, which I think that meant I, I tended to disagree with most things people said and tried to always play that contrarian role. Um, and, and I just I had a different set of experiences uh, than some of my classmates and you know there's so many different career options that one could have but um, through a combination of, I didn't get a lot of interviews uh, with those groups. Uh, and. I think I knew pretty early on. I just wasn't cut out for for the iBanking world in particular, you know.
1: And so, Matt, how do you describe your career to someone? And it would be great if you can touch on S&E sponsorship because people outside of the industry probably don't know what the agency does or did.
0: Not for sure. I think it actually predates S&E because I got my start at Maple Leaf Foods. And uh, a lot of, actually, a lot of Ivy grads joined uh, Maple Leaf because the McCain family has really great ties uh, to, to Ivy, uh, Michael was a graduate, et cetera. Uh, and that was the basis for everything I've achieved because I joined a management rotation program where you were in a different company, working in a different function uh, for every year for three years. And that was a foundation for me because I learned really quickly how to learn. And it started to breed in me this belief that I could figure out a lot of different things. If I put my mind to it, I worked really hard and I built relationships and I approached basically every situation as a situation where I could learn. So um, I did a lot of stuff in the early days of my career That was uh, I worked in essentially fresh pork in a a lot of different capacities, domestically, internationally. I was an exporter and I just I learned a tremendous amount. I learned financial systems. I learned um, international shipping. I learned Forex. I learned uh, logistics. I walked the plant floor a ton of times. I worked in disassembly myself to understand it. Um, So all of that really gave me this foundation to then go on to a career um, in a space that was always a bit of a dream uh, in the in the sport marketing space. And, you know, like a lot of people or at least a lot of people my age, uh, I saw the movie Jerry Maguire when I was younger and thought, geez, I want to be that I want to do that, not just in the sports space, but to like really like, you know, follow your heart and your values and do things different. And I told enough people that sport was always interesting to me, that a friend referred me to a job at SNE and e uh, took that job. Um, I was a little surprised I got it because I didn't really have the career background for it. And in my final interview with my dear friend, Brian Cooper, uh, we ended up debating each other quite a bit. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I did not just get that job um, because I, I just don't have the skills necessarily and in, in the background. And geez, I just debated the owner of the company. So <laughs> didn't think that would go the way it went, but it did. Um, and then s and was, you know, a ride where, you know, you got exposed to one, what it was like to be in a startup environment altogether, because while the company had a great history, it was in a period of reinvention, new ownership, and really kind of building up an entire new suite of services that, you know, lived inside the shell of a longstanding company, but was essentially a new company and uh you know it's probably a really long story from there maybe maybe i'll uh i'll I'll pause on on you know the entire career background but effectively like that set me on a path and that path was to continue to grow develop evolve and really just try to drive teams forward and play my role on those teams whether at a client or inside our group always just keep trying to like look at new challenges and say how do we Learn that? How do we develop that? And how do we help clients to think of things in new ways? Which, you know, sent me on the rest of the ride from SE to MKTG to, to now being a, an entrepreneur and a founder of my own.
1: Yeah. So pretty different, right? Logistics, pork, you mentioned learning Forex, fi- financial systems. And then you were, you know, you went and joined this agency that was in a new phase of growth. Thinking back to that interview with, with Brian Cooper and having some of those debates or, or having, was that you having like differing views and where you always, are you, did that, is that something that was a theme or has been a theme throughout your career that you've been okay with taking another stance, even though you were in an interview? I think
0: I have learned that I'm at my best when I can have a sounding board or a sparring partner someone who is comfortable to hear different points of view and also to challenge my points of view and i think that can lead to some of the best outcomes when you have trusted partners that you know it's a safe space to bring different opinions forward and it's not about you know hearing what someone senior to you says and just making it so all the time it's it can be a two-way street Um, that's that's really really powerful and and I, yeah, like probably anyone who's ever worked with me would say, yeah, Matt can be really annoying because he typically says, are you sure? Is that, is that really what we're trying to do here? But uh, I've always found it to be effective. And even if it just makes you sharpen your idea uh, to prove me wrong, then that can, be, that can be a pretty great outcome as well. So it's not, it's not a, I wanna debate you because I always have to have my way and be right. It's, I want to explore the issue and get in the mix. And, and I want you to tell me when I'm wrong and, and push me out of a conversation. If I'm taken in a place that it shouldn't be going.
1: And did you, so if you think about Maple Leaf, I think you were there four years. I I saw, is there, is there a lesson or, or something that happened in those four years where you still look back to the day and it's kind of helped you throughout your career?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, where there's a, will, there's a way um and i was in a lot of unique roles where we were trying to bring new things forward to very stable traditional environments otherwise and if you think about it from you know a team's perspective here's this person who's being dropped in they're going to be in this role for a year tops you're going to invest a lot of time in them by the time they get the job they're going to leave so i had to win a lot of people over and i had to develop thick skin as well because there was times where people would be tough on me and like well you'll never understand kind of stuff and uh, multiple times i remember learning how to say you know i may not understand today but i'm gonna get better and you're gonna see that i'm gonna meet you there like i'm going to figure this out and you're gonna like me and you're gonna think i'm adding value and that's probably where i learned to like challenge back most so if it meant I had to go walk the production floor and meet uh, a colleague of mine at 6 a.m. and go do that for an hour and a half before my workday started, or if it meant I had to like, you know, go out to different plants myself and you know go to the different meetings and bring samples forward and get my labels printed on sticker paper and attached on myself and mockups for meetings, like there was no way I was gonna let things fail if I was working on them and. I I found that that got contagious. Like if you just were like persistently kind and you showed you put in the work, typically people would give you a chance and you could always earn a spot with those people, at least I found. So that, uh, that gave me a lot of confidence that I think I've really carried forward with me to everything else I've ever done.
1: Yeah, that's so true. If you if you are kind and, and you did let people know, like, if if you're going to let me learn, I, I will get there and I'll meet you there. I think that's pretty, pretty impactful. Then you move on to S&E Sponsorship Group. I, I've read that you guys, you could quadrupled the size of the agency by the time it was, it was done. And you rose over the nine years to become EVP and COO. And the company was then sold to Densu Aegis Network and became MTKTG Canada. I've got to ask, like, when you started and in the first few years, was it a goal of yours? Are you like, eventually, I I think I can lead this agency or become COO? Did you have any, any thinking like that? Was that a goal?
0: I had one of these really superficial goals where I told myself I wanted to be a president by the time I was 30. Okay. And... And I didn't achieve that goal. Um, But that was the kind of drive I had when I came in because I left a very large company where I had a lot of stability. I was on a track where I was going to continue to advance. I took a pay cut. I joined a smaller company where I literally had no concept of like, is this a great move or isn't it? But everything in my heart told me like, do this, take this shot. And yeah, like I didn't do it knowing or thinking I would become the president. One day Uh, I did it thinking I was going to give this a shot. I was going to give it my all. And in all honesty, like, you know, titles are something that probably there's a false value on in society. Uh, I've learned that, um, I, you know, assumed progressive responsibility for sure over those years. Uh, and I was really, really fortunate to work with, um, you know, a, a legend like Brian Cooper, who was, you know, just so impactful in his career and impactful as a colleague and partner of mine, but, and many other, uh, incredible talent at, at s and KTG. But I think like after maybe year three to when I left, while things got bigger and to a certain scale, the role was pretty consistent, like titles change, but it was always like, it was a sense of responsibility I always had, uh, to try to make, uh, and build and be part of and contribute to an organization that supported people to be their best and therefore delivered the best product. And like then titles, all of a sudden just started to happen. And honestly, it was it was the furthest thing from my mind. It was more so like, how do I have impact? How do I create a space that other people have impact? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. How do I have impact and how do I create a space where other people can have impact as well? Where did you get the, uh, I want to be president by the time I'm 30 from, was that something, uh, was it family <laughs> oh, and friends foolishness. around? <laughs> foolishness, okay.
0: No, yeah, No. no, I was like, my parents always supported me. Like they would be happy if I did anything where I was happy. Um, and my friends always were amazing. Like my friends don't care the titles I have. They care how, how I act and how I am around them. Um, so I never felt any pressure. I think I just put it on myself. And there is like business school teaches you, you know, and hopefully it's different today, but it's everything becomes like who's going to be the next CEO? Who's going to be 30 under 30, 40 under 40? We set all these expectations because we're all keeping score. And I remember going to, uh, my five year reunion post-grad and looking around. I remember graduating and looking around at all of my peers who just seemed to have gotten these incredible roles and titles. And I assumed they were probably making a lot more money than me. And I, I felt like I, I wasn't at their level. I wasn't enough. I went back at five year and I I looked around and thought, geez, all these people have been so incredibly successful and are doing so many amazing things and I'm doing good, but am I doing as good as them? Uh, I went back in my ten year, and I was like, like at such a incredible space with my career and I looked around and a lot of my uh, friends had developing families and I didn't have that. And it took me a long time to realize that like, stop looking at other people and what they've achieved and setting your benchmarks on that and look inward and like set your benchmarks on what you want to achieve and what matters to you. But, uh, but yeah, 30 present by 30 was just immaturity and, and the wrong goal. And I would never encourage anyone to ever have that goal.
1: And I believe that people of any age, especially those starting out in their career 10 years in where we compare so many things and it's so, harmful and what are the strategies you learn now or what's the advice you give yourself so you're not looking around too much like we'll get into what happened after mktg but how do you make sure you ground yourself and look inward is there something you've you've learned over time
0: uh it's it's every day you must you know you must be Consistently practicing and reminding yourself these things, for sure. There are moments where I, I falter on that, absolutely. There's moments where I scroll LinkedIn and I wonder, you know, why we don't make as many headlines as some of the other agencies out there. Uh, for sure, I, I have that in me. I think I'll always have that in me. I'm very competitive by nature, I want to win 100%. Um, And there's good parts of that that I try to like cultivate and nurture and there's parts of that where I have to like try to retrain myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I've used some incredible coaches over the years. Um, I uh, regularly um, see my therapist to work on myself. I uh, have incredible friends that keep me grounded or um, have the patience to listen to me when I need to like verbalize it to the world to work it out. Uh, My mom is incredibly patient when I need to make the call on on the walk home or the drive home. Uh, My fiance is incredibly patient when I need to like walk around the kitchen and just like say things to the universe so I can process it. But the truth is, I don't know. (laughs) It's it's a practice and it's something that you have to commit to. But the good thing is, if you falter, you just have to go again, you just have to get back at it. and in doing work that has great meaning is, is a great way to get over that because you can reset on what it is that you can truly achieve through your work and that can kind of reground you on what it is you're trying to do, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a practice. And I love so many things you mentioned there, um, whether it was having a coach or having a therapist. And I've done those things, but my career coach or career coach I collab with a little bit, she always refers to everything as a practice, right? Everything to do with your career, your life, how you frame your own mindset, it, it's always a practice. You know, I know people that would be interested in, in listening to this, you know, SE to me, looking at some of the work you guys did there, whether it was your involvement in the Scotiabank Arena deal or the Sun Life Jersey patch. Uh, you worked with incredible clients like, uh, you know, Adidas. And I know you brought many of these clients in or had worked with them what was it like working on some of those major deals that, you know, for example, the arena deal was one that grabbed headlines globally. Um, What was that like to be, to be working on some of those, some of those sport marketing deals?
0: It's exciting. It's fast paced. I would say that, you know, one of the biggest common factors is it takes so many people to reach deals of that magnitude happens at so many levels through the coordination of so many individuals who are all giving in different ways and uh, they just wouldn't be possible by any one person so um, it it taught you a lot about uh, teamwork and discipline and understanding what your role was and being ready to rise to the occasion particularly a lot of the notable big deals they come down to key moments where you have to like you know, find the energy reserves and you got to dig in deep uh, and you got to be ready on your feet to communicate what it is that you think in that moment and be prepared to back it up, uh, which which takes a lot of a lot of practice and discipline. But I would say, like, was so fortunate to work with incredible people at so many different levels. Like I, I got to work with some of like the biggest legends in the space. Like like, you know, Brian and my colleagues at SME, MKTG incredible colleagues at, you know, Scotiabank like John Doig and Jim Tobin uh, and Rick White really did so much for the industry at large with what what they did and their achievements. Jackie Ryan is, you know, simply said, one of the best in the business and I've had the amazing fortune of working with her in so many ways throughout my career and um, I've learned so much, Uh, Lisa Ferkel uh, Pat McElhaney, Kim Saunders, like Nora Gorman, like the list could go on and on and on, Ty Mazaru. Um, and what you learn in this space is that it's a really big community. It's a really small community. and I know that's been said on this podcast before. I know that's not news, but it is, um, it is, it's a nice thing to reflect on. It's, it's a bunch of humans all trying to do their part. We all have different tasks. Sometimes we're on the opposite side of views, but there is a long tail effect where like you bump into people that you worked with now, 15 years ago, and you're back in the mix with them. And it's, it's like riding a bike. It's like, you never left because you build such amazing connections in this industry and, and, uh, it, it makes it so special.
1: You mentioned some great, some great names there. And I know Jackie Ryan's doing some amazing things now with the Canadian Olympic committee. You mentioned Brian Cooper, who you've worked so many years with. And was there, and you speak about being a super competitive, a competitive person. And I got to only imagine like, you know, working on whether it was the arena deal or, or the Jersey patch deal. Some of these deals are so competitive because you've got, You know, you probably had all four or five banks at the table looking at that, that opportunity. Is is there a time you look back on where there was a, there was a setback at S&E or there was something that didn't go the way you wanted to or in your life even?
0: I think there's, there's multiple moments like that, that you learn to adapt and pivot uh, I remember running an event um, early stages of my time at SNE. Uh, we were a Grey Cup Festival in Calgary, um, and I didn't have the qualifications really to run an event. But we were a lean team. I took it on. I had some great, you know, oversight from Corey Woolley, who's one of the best in the biz, total pro. And uh, but I still made some mistakes. And I showed up on site, and we had this kick a football into a net as part of like a series of activations. And the net was a child soccer net (laughs) and the festival opened the next day and there was no ability to source a net. And I was freaking out thinking, what does one do in this situation? i made a number of other mistakes. I could take up the length of this podcast. So I won't get into them. But what I realized was you can always find a solution. And like That solution was staying up really late, contacting a fishery in BC, getting a net cut to a size, getting it put on a cargo shipment, getting it arrived, and then making it happen. And when when lights came on and the thing opened up, no one would have ever known. And it was a real learning of like, that could have been a real sidestep moment where we let failure happen, but we didn't. We rallied, we found a solution. I can't believe that was the solution, but it was. Uh, And no one, like it it worked out. Another one that is interesting is I remember bidding on an RFP and uh, it was early stages, like sponsorship agencies even getting an RFP opportunity was kind of new. And we had put ourselves forward for this thing. We had put a lot of time and effort in. Um, we had developed materials that we felt for us was just our best look ever use creative resources. We had never tapped into before we pitched this thing, Corey, Brian, and myself. And I remember we had a celebratory lunch after, cause we just knew we were the right group for this situation. And, uh, two weeks later got the call, we didn't get it. And we were all devastated. Cause we just knew we were the right group for it. And it was our first real moment of failure as a group. And we had a bit of the ego that we thought we had gotten it for sure. But uh, we kept at it. We didn't let it set us back. And we ended up working with that group, um, you know, a year or so later. So it wasn't exactly how we thought or when we thought, but we got our shot. And when we got our shot, we made it work. So there's always going to be setbacks. There's always going to be things that didn't go the way you intended. But if you stick at it and work hard, it'll it'll guide you to where hopefully it should have been all along.
1: Yeah, I love that story with the fisheries. How you call <laughs> did you just start calling up fisheries in BC?
0: Yeah, like Googled <laughs> Googled large nets and started going. And like honestly, again, it's like there's a moment where you could say, I'm gonna give up, or a moment where you say, not happening. If if it fails, it won't be because I didn't spend every possible moment to rectify this and get it right. Uh, and uh, I really should have kept that person's contact because they they really bailed me
1: out. Nice, nice. So you you had this amazing run, Matt, at, at S and and you guys sold the Densu, and it became MKTG Canada. And then, you know, we all see the announcement that you know Matthew Logue is gonna gonna step down and pursue something else after um, a great tenure. What kind of was the was the catalyst? to that. You've mentioned you were looking, you know, for growth, but, but how did you know that, Hey, it's the right time to step away from this and move, move my life to the next chapter.
0: Yeah. Great question. I think, I think with my heart first always, and then it's like, how do I support that with my brain and with my logic system, but the greatest decisions I've ever made, I always was starting my heart or in my tummy, however you want to look at that. And i hit the point where i just knew that this was not where i was destined to be long term and it was one of these things where uh i've experienced that in other ways in my personal life where i knew something and i didn't act on it and then what i did a couple years later i realized i know what i knew and i know when i could have acted and like that time is not lost time but but you know you're on the clock So I had that belief, um, I got to that point, uh, with MKTG and, you know, I think it was a number of things. One is I was so fortunate to have jammed so many experiences into my run at SME MKTG, um, work with incredible people, take on so many challenges. I got to touch basically every property in the country in some way, shape or form. And I really had gotten to a point where I'd done so many things that I was on a lot of repeats. Um, and I'm a person that craves new, um, and then in particular, in the last couple of years, I was on the deal team when we sold, um, S&E to Dentsu. So, um, that was a tremendous amount of work while doing my full-time job. I was, um, co-lead of integration of getting us into the, into the network and on all the systems and in the office space and rebranding and all those sorts of things. Um, so I was also a heck of a lot of work. Um, and, you know, I think I had just done everything I had ever wanted to do. I joined a startup, we built it, we sold it, we integrated it, we rebranded it. It was successful. It was doing very well. People were feeling optimistic about where the business was going. And I no longer looked up and thought I wanted that next role. I, and in a co environment, I would have been doing wrong by my team if I was content to sit in my role and not thinking about how I continue to grow and like navigate the network. Uh, And and that's an amazing career path. I I was very fortunate and privileged to be in the position that I had that choice to consider. Do I want to think on the next steps? Do I aspire to take the next steps in the corporation? Um, That's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, but it wasn't the opportunity for me. It wasn't what I initially signed up for. I joined a startup, not a international conglomerate, and it just required a different mentality and, and desire. I really wanted to cultivate this amazing thing we had built and spend all of my time and energy there. But when you're the president of of a brand and a holdco, your job is mostly working in the holdco environment. A lot of like. You know managing within that space and and looking at synergies across businesses and things like that which again is interesting and i have the skills to do uh, but i didn't want to do it i didn't have the passion to do it and then that just i knew it was time for someone else to be in the role and it was time for me to do something different and long-winded way of getting back to where i started i know what it's like to feel that and wait so what I decided to do was act really, really swiftly, uh, but instead give, uh, you know, a long amount of lead time so the organization could adapt and take the steps needed uh, to be ready to, you know, have a seamless transition. So I um, was very fortunate to be met with a lot of support on that, um, to work with a lot of great people to like map out how one does that in a way that like honors the company and the people. and. And that was my most important goal was how do I make sure that I navigate this in a way that takes care of this incredible team that's given me so much and that I care for so, so much. So that was, that was kind of the road to start, start me on my exit, if you will.
1: Yeah. And then you come across the exit and obviously, you know, there was what a year before you, you started the grader. So I'm interested during that time did you just totally step back and just just relax and do some fun things in your personal life, or did you explore many different what's next?
0: There was a lot of Lucky Charms in NHL or Madden during the day,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: particularly in the beginning. Yeah, um, but no, in all seriousness, there there was a man of that because I think everyone should uh, take advantage of those rare opportunities um, that where you don't have uh, an action packed work life. And I, I stepped away with with no real knowledge or thought about what I was going to do next. Um, I think I was open to everything. But I had no clear path and, and no game plan, which is a little scary. But I just maybe at times I'm guilty of having um, a false sense of confidence, but I was just confident that life would figure out and, and I would figure something out. Um, and I, I, did some coursework. Uh, I went down to MIT for like a, like an executive session that I got a lot out of. I spent time exploring different ideas that might've taken me in different paths. I looked at buying a restaurant nice. um, and got pretty far along that path. Um, but couldn't reach a deal that I felt was the right deal for me. So didn't proceed with that. Uh, but someone else bought it as a really wonderful place and, and I'm very happy that it's, it's still going. And then, just started doing a bit of freelance consulting and that ultimately led to founding the greater co-founding the greater
1: so quick question what type of restaurant would it have been
0: it was uh like a bit of like a farm to table style okay place. awesome so awesome. yeah really a really really nice little spot
1: so the greater like i love the the message you guys are putting out there that I think it's 50% of net net profits that you look to, to give back. And, you know, I read about how you really believe in purpose plus, uh, so it's about profits, but it's also about how you can make a bigger impact. How did this whole agency model idea come to pass and what is the impact you want to make with the greater?
0: It's interesting because it it came in so many different ways, a confluence of factors. I was doing a bit of consulting uh, myself as an independent. Uh, My co-founder, Matt Klar, who I worked very closely with, um, he's uh, definitely one of the most talented people I've ever worked with in my life. And and we knew each other really well, obviously, from our time together. Um, He had been thriving in the post-Matt Logue era, that's for sure. Uh, at MKTG as as they all have, which is amazing. And uh, Matt had also made a decision to to leave because he was ready for that next big chapter. And we had a, you know, a classic meetup and, you know, shared a, a safe socially distanced beer and meal on a patio um, during during uh, last uh, December. And it was just a a moment where we were kind of trading notes and we were both doing our own thing and thought, you know, if we're both going to do our own thing, why don't we try doing something together? And ultimately we're able to really talk about what that would look like. And I think Matt and I are both ambitious. Um, We both have um, views on on how we can continue to raise the bar and and challenge ourselves Um, and both had a belief that purpose was something we were drawn to. Um, Those briefs were increasing in number, um, for sure. And in our experience over the years, where in the beginning, you know, cause sponsorship was kind of like a bucket and a category. And over time, it started to weave into everything we had, obviously, we're taking part in the societal movement, which was really gaining momentum and more people paying attention and saying, How do I be part of the solution? not just avoid being part of the problem, which was really important, and a, a fundamental belief that agencies could just do things in a different way. And again, not saying a better or worse way, while we believe it is a better way, um, it's not to cast you know judgment on, on any other group because we, we came up in, in the traditional agency space as well, but we wanted to do it different and our view was, Let's, you know, make purpose and social impact hard coded to everything we do. Let's really focus on those organizations that are trying to use their great power for great good and let's honor it ourselves. Let's find a way to like really, you know, reinvent the wheel here where it's a different kind of agency. So we were kind of like, how do we be the Tom shoes of agencies? And that's what got us to 50% of net profit, Um, intentionally a big number, intentionally a bold number, because we wanted it to be abundantly clear that we were highly committed to this. So that was kind of like our brief to ourselves and the greater obviously stands for the greater good. And that was kind of our ethos. And we really quickly hacked together. It helps when your fiance is in the digital space and can help you with a website. Uh, so we're really able to quickly mobilize and get a, get a, you know, a MVP product, like our minimum viable product out in the market and launch and, and take, that's the whole, like, make the path as we walk it mentality. We just, we started to go we said, we're not going to get everything perfect out of the gate, but we're going to continually make progress. And that's something we always, you know, encourage our clients to think on as well. Um, that you you don't have to have it all figured out as you move in a space if you know why it is you're trying to do it and some of the core principles and beliefs and values and uh, you know the rest is a very brief history of one year that's going quite well I'd say
1: Uh, that's that's good and I think it's powerful the the impact you're trying to make and that you came out with a bold 50 percent you know the podcast it's called it's not a straight line and I guess if you look at coming out of ivy business school and then going to maple leaf there was a path there but you know you mentioned taking a pay cut and you went to this smaller sponsorship agency and then grew that and the i guess some people would have looked at that and been like okay matt's going to continue to grow within the holdco of densu aegis or move on to another big uh marketing giant um and then you took some time away explored and now you've launched your own entrepreneurial business with your own spin on it, really. So I, I guess you really couldn't have looked back and assumed this is the path you were gonna go on. Did you ever think you might start your own agency when you were in one for that amount of time?
0: Never gave it a lot of mind time. I was honestly, everything in me was focused on uh, s and the team and the people. Um, I uh, probably had a pretty unhealthy work-life balance at that time, for sure, even though I, I really don't like that term because, you know, it's problematic in its own ways. But I really never thought about life beyond that. I thought about how do we continue to to make this a great place? What do I owe to this group? What do I need to deliver for this team? And and also, you know, how can we continue to, to grow and, and make this thing thrive? I. I think there's another, you know, version of my story where that just continues to go and, and we're, we're still doing that thing. And and it led to another great place. But I would say I'm very grateful for the incredible learning of, of taking a few unexpected turns. And I don't think anything really prepares you to be a co-founder in an entrepreneurial environment. It is incredible it's fast paced, it requires you to, to flex a bunch of different muscles that you probably didn't know you had. And uh, it's, it's been a heck of a ride. So certainly wasn't a straight line, but a, but a, but a great one. And a very fortunate to, to be doing it with uh, such an amazing and trusted partner like Matt. Uh,
1: and any any comments about it not being a straight line within the first brief one year history as an entrepreneur? What's what's it been like? Has there been any 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 setbacks you've had to bounce back from? You know anything you can comment on in that in that realm? I
0: wouldn't say setbacks. I think we've had a, a really really great year. We work with about twenty different organizations or brands throughout this year. We're really excited. Um, you know, a little bit of a plug here, but we donated over fifty thousand dollars to different charity groups that are all doing incredible work in, in, in a really like localized grassroots way. We put a lot of our funding to. Um, a lot of organizations that aren't in the in the in the tops in terms of uh, attracting dollars for their groups. So um, the business has been very successful, and and we are um, very grateful for that. I think it it's it's probably not even a line yet because it's so early in the journey. Like we're probably just starting to put a few points on the board here that that eventually we'll be able to trace a line to. But would say that what's amazing in the model is when you have that clear guidepost of why you exist and mechanisms like the 50 percent of net profit to charity you it's like looking in the horizon you know where you're going and you know the world is round but it can look pretty flat if you're if you're walking towards that clear end point in the distance right Um, I think that's the power of being a purpose led organization, we we are experiencing that every single day ourselves. So sure, do you have to take a few unexpected turns? Absolutely, probably every day in some way. But it doesn't really feel like that, because you can see that endpoint of where you're going.
1: For sure. And and feel free. That's a big plug, you should give yourself (laughs) $50,000. I think this year. Yeah. Over as, a, as a new organization, I saw the organizations you donated to—you know, incredible groups—and I do like how how you pick them. I, I think you allow clients to have some say as well. Is that true?
0: Yes. Yeah, so what we did was we we had great exposure to many important needs areas through the work that we did through our own personal passions and commitments. There's great resources out there for anyone who's looking to learn more about what the vital needs are. Toronto Foundation in particular produces a vital signs report that they give you a real sense of some key factors at play that are relevant here in Toronto, but more broadly across Canada as well. And then we went out to every client that we worked with this year. So if you worked on an engagement with us, you got access to a really simple survey where you could help us to prioritize how we might allocate based on areas that we felt important. There was also open-ended space where some um, of our great clients were able to nudge us on areas that they cared about personally or initiatives that they were involved professionally. So we took all that in and then we able to, um, again, leverage a lot of different experiences and resources to find some really incredible groups and, uh, and, and do some good. So yeah, it was really gratifying. And I think really is, is a beautiful thing to do towards a year end to springboard it the next year with an uh, increased pep in the staff not that there wasn't some already but just one more reason to, to push harder
1: yeah congratulations on that it really it, truly what you're doing and the way you've put together this model I, I think is is going to do a lot of good Any last comments as we wrap up on advice you've learned if someone wants to, you know, is looking to kind of get into the sports business world, or you also mentioned, I think a point you mentioned that I go to quickly coaches and therapists, and you're pretty self-aware. I I believe any advice for people out there looking for a a coach or therapist. I think a lot of people shy away from it and they shouldn't, and maybe we will end on that. And if anyone's looking, looking to get in touch, Matt, or learn more about the Greater or positions you might have available, lastly, where can they find you?
0: Sure. So uh, my LinkedIn for sure, or uh, thegreater.ca on Instagram, like literally thegreater.ca on Instagram, because, you know, getting those handles, that, that was the best way to do it. Uh, both, both those channels certainly work or mlog at greater.CA works as well. Uh, I think like I can do some of these really quick for you. Advice on the sports business world. I give one piece of advice I give to everyone, which is it is a career, it is a job. Don't lead with I love sport, lead with I love business. And that's your, that's your best way in because thousands of people come forward with their passion for sport. Um, that's a bit table stakes while important, really focus on why you're a great candidate for the needs of the role. That's, that's your best way in and, and don't give up if that's what you want. Just keep going. Um, I know a lot of people who put in the time and have, have done amazing things that, that didn't start off, that they were getting the opportunities they wanted, but they got there. Coaching and therapy is, is a journey. Um, I would say a couple things. One is take the time to get to know different coaches and know what you're committed to contribute yourself because it is on you. Coaches are there to help you, but they're not there to do it for you. Um, I've worked with uh, an incredible coach, um, Stephen DeGroote, who runs Bribia, uh, is just uh, an awesome person and a great talent and has been a really great support to me at different times throughout my career. Um, Therapy, same thing. Uh, you might, you know, get assigned a therapist and feel awkward about the whole thing. So you take the therapist you got. I had many different therapists, uh, many is, is, seems abstract. I just don't know the number off the top of my head. It could probably count on one hand, I would say, um, if that gives a sense. But you don't always know exactly what that fit's going to be. And, and the person that I work with now, I've worked with for a number of years, and it is the right person for me. And it took me a few to kind of figure out who, who do I have chemistry with? And again, I would say it's on you. You have to put in the time. I used to be guilty of, I would do it when I felt I needed it, which is like the worst decision I could have made because it's too late at that point. Cause then you're, you're trying to like unravel stuff and understand it versus being proactive about it. So I found it's a consistent habit I must maintain and I must invest in, and I may miss a session and need to like get back on the track, but, uh it's it's much better i found in my experience to be proactive about it and and commit to like even those days you're like i don't know if i have anything to talk about then go and say that and see where it leads you right so i'd highly highly recommend it i think it's it's a wonderful thing for for a lot of people
1: yeah i i agree with you it's all about the consistency there i've been guilty of the same thing uh you just mentioned whether it's with therapy or coaching But uh, thank you so much, Matt, for your generosity and time and for being vulnerable about those things. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing at The Greater, and I hope other businesses and agencies follow the model. And I look forward to catching up soon.
0: Thank you very much, Jordan. It was great to spend the time and thanks for what you're doing on this podcast. I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people.
1: There you have it. Thanks for checking out It's Not a Straight Line. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and if you can, leave me a review, provide me some feedback, and I wish you all the best as you find your way in your career and life.